Alright, this morning I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number 1. Nehemiah chapter number 1. We're going to be preaching again on a topic that I trust is uh, very timely as far as the way that things are going in our nation today, and especially as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nehemiah chapter number 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Nehemiah chapter number 1, verses 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I escaped them, or excuse me, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant of that uh, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burnt with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. The title of the message this morning is A Good Christian and a Good Citizen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we could be in your house this morning. I pray that as we meditate upon your word, you'd teach us, Lord, to be not only good Christians, but to understand that to be a good citizen, we must be a good Christian. And really, to be the right kind of citizen you want us to be, we must be a Christian. And Lord, I just pray that today you'd help us to do our part to honor and glorify you. We thank you for who you are and all you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens. Those are famous words that were spoken by Senator and Statesman Daniel Webster almost 200 years ago. And what was true then is true today. Whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens. Now we ought to strive to be good Christians and good citizens. In fact, this morning I don't hide the fact that I think that we ought to be good patriots. You ever think about what it is to be a patriot? The very word patriot means a person who loves his country and zealously supports and defend, defends it and its interests. I say this morning that we ought to be good Christians and good citizens and thus good patriots. A Christian should be a model and exemplary patriot. Nehemiah was just that. Nehemiah loved his country, and he was a patriot. Nehemiah had been carried captive during the Babylonian captivity, and this was something that God had prophesied was going to take place, that because of the sins of the people of Judah, they would be taken captive by the world empire Babylon for 70 years. And of course what happened when Nebuchadnezzar came in and took Jerusalem and Judah captive, he leveled the temple, he leveled the city walls, and so Nehemiah is there serving the king in a foreign land, and he asks how things are going back in the homeland, and he gets this report, and this report literally makes him break down and cry at the report of what has happened to his homeland. You see, Nehemiah loved his country, and it bothered him as to what had happened to his country. Nehemiah loved his country, and he was a patriot. His life and actions 
provide insight that can be helpful for us to understand what it means to be a good Christian and a good citizen. And if there's ever a time when we as the Lord's people need instruction on such a topic, it is today. And so this morning, I want us to consider five marks of a good Christian and a good citizen. First of all, a good Christian and a good citizen seeks to live a consistent Christian life. Secondly, he or she shows their love for their country. Thirdly, he or she submits to the laws of our land. The fourth mark, a good Christian and a good citizen supplicates for the leaders of this land and our fellow Americans. And then lastly, a good Christian and a good citizen shares in the burden of our liberty. Five marks of a good Christian and a good citizen. I believe we see all of these in the life of Nehemiah. Now we begin by considering the first mark of a good Christian and a good citizen. A good Christian and a good citizen seeks to live a consistent Christian life. We cannot be the citizens that we should be or that we ought to be if we are not the Christians that we should be. Teddy Roosevelt uh, famously said that there that no candid observer will deny that whatever of good there may be in our American civilization is the product of Christianity. Teddy Roosevelt said that. And so you and I must understand the connection between our Christianity and our citizenship and the, the effect that it has on our nation. We ought to seek to live a consistent Christian life. This means, first of all, that we do obeisance to the Lord. And what does that word mean? It simply means that we reverence and honor the Lord. We have to have a healthy view of the sovereign and majestic God. <coughs> Think about these words that are repeated in the several gospels, but we're going to look we're going to consider Mark's uh, version of these words. In Mark chapter 12 and verse number 30, the Lord Jesus Christ says in response to a question that had been posed to him, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, the Lord says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Verse 31, And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, can you imagine today, if Christians did heed what the Lord said. That we loved Him, first of all, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we loved our neighbor as ourselves. Can you imagine if every citizen of the United States had that approach? In fact, what if every citizen just had the approach that, first of all, they would love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? That would make a huge difference in our nation, would it not? And what if they just heeded the second commandment that we would love our neighbor as ourselves? Would that not also make a huge difference in our society? So to be a good Christian and a good citizen, the first mark is that we seek to live a consistent Christian life, that we do obeisance to the Lord, we reverence and honor Him. And if we are doing obeisance to the Lord, then that will lead, secondly, to obedience unto the Lord. You know, others see whether or not we're living the life that we say we're living. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse number 16, Peter writes about how that others will see our conduct as we profess to be the Lord's people. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 16, Peter writes, Having a good conscience, 
that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And the word conversation there, I think we understand through studying the Scriptures, that it means our conduct. And so through our conduct, we are obedient to the Lord and others will see that obedience. Are you obedient to the Lord? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you, the Lord says in Matthew chapter number 6. And so, in order to be the right kind of Christian and the right kind of citizen, we have to be obedient unto the Lord's commandments. We ought to seek to live a consistent Christian life. And then thirdly, we have to open our mouths to speak God's Word. One of the greatest call, in fact, I say the greatest calling here on this earth is to be able to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel changes hearts and changes lives and can change nations. Ephesians 6, uh, verse number 19, Paul, after he goes through the Christian armor, he requests prayer for him. And why does he request prayer? He says in verse number 19, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, and make known the mystery of the gospel. And so, we ought to be opening our mouths and speaking the word of God. We ought to be the testimony and the witness that God wants us to be. We ought to understand the connection between being a good Christian and a good citizen. We ought to understand the connection that uh, is apparent to us that we ought to seek to live a consistent Christian life so that we might be the citizens that God wants us to be. John Witherspoon was a signer, one of the 56 men that signed the Declaration of Independence. He served in the Continental Congress. John Witherspoon recognized that connection. Listen to what he said. Witherspoon said, "It is in the it is in the man of piety and inward principle that we may expect to find the uncorrupted patriot, the useful citizen, and the invincible soldier." God grant that in America true religion and civil liberty may be inseparable and that the unjust attempts to destroy the one may in the issue tend to the support and establishment of both. And so again, Witherspoon is saying that if we want to be the citizens that we ought to be and see the nation's liberties and freedoms sustained, we ought to seek to live a consistent Christian life. That's the first mark of a good Christian and a good citizen. The second mark is this. We had to show our love for our country. Nehemiah exemplified this. Nehemiah loved his country. You know, today it's somehow become like a, a, a mark of shame to show your love for your country. To show that you're an American and that you're an American first and that you're a patriot first. Nehemiah exemplified showing love for his country. Now, what does it mean to show love for our country? Well, first of all, it means that we have a heart that beats for the red, white, and blue. A heart that beats for the red, white, and blue. Now, think about this. Nehemiah loved his country. And because he loved his country, we already read in verse number 4 where he sat down and wept and mourned and fasted and prayed because of the condition of his country. You know what Nehemiah did? Read what he did in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 10. When the enemies of God came to confront Nehemiah in his mission to rebuild the city walls, watch what happens. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 10, the Bible says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, heard of what Nehemiah was doing, it grieved them exceedingly. Now get this. 
that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. You know what I want in our next president? I want a man who will seek the welfare of the United States of America. I want somebody who will stand up for the flag and respect the blood that was shed for those patriots that died for our nation. I want a man who will say, when old glory flies and the national anthem starts to play, I get goose pimples over my body. I get a lump in my throat when I see those colors. I want a man who will stand up for this nation, who loves this nation. Respect for what this nation stands for, seeking the best for America. I'm sick and tired of all the knuckleheads who said, after the Dobbs decision that returned abortion to the states, which is where it's supposed to be, that they said they were going to leave the country. You know what? They're still here. Their stench still pollutes this nation. Those that said, uh, pink, I don't want you to listen to my music if you support the Dobbs decision. Well, guess what? I didn't listen to your music before, and I surely won't listen to it now. If you don't love this country, then why don't you have the courage to abide by your words and go ahead and leave? In fact, I'm pretty sure that we could take up a collection and support them so that they would leave. I don't apologize for these words. We need Americans who love our nation and are willing to stand up for our nation. It is a shame that we are negotiating to return a murderer and a terrorist to the to, to Russia in exchange for a woman who kneels for the national anthem and has denigrated this country at every turn. And now she gets in trouble and she wants our help. I say, you know what? Call Putin and ask him for help. We need people who have a heart that beats for the red, white, and blue. We ought not to be ashamed to show our love for our country. A good citizen is a good Christian, and a good Christian and a good citizen shows his love for our country. He has a heart that beats for the red, white, and blue. He has a heart that breaks for our country, forsaking God. Did we not just read in Nehemiah chapter number 1 and verse number 4 how Nehemiah literally breaks down and weeps and mourns because of the condition of the country? Well, you know how the, how the country got to that condition? Because they had forsaken God. Now, we're going to read Nehemiah's words a little bit later on in verses 5 and later. But it's very clear that he says that we're in the condition that we're in because we have forsaken the living God. We need to have a heart that breaks for our country forsaking God. We need to have a heart that desires God to be present and active in our nation and not that God feels as though He has no place in our nation. Now, don't get me wrong. God can do as He pleases. But we ought to welcome God into our nation. And how about this? We ought to show our love for our country in that we have a heart that moves us to bring warnings from God's Word as to what will happen when we forsake God. Nehemiah was that guy. In Nehemiah chapter 5, Nehemiah learns about some oppressive actions that the Jews are taking towards their fellow countrymen and withholding corn and then selling corn at an exorbitant price. And he rebukes them over this. And listen to Nehemiah's words in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Uh, the Bible says, And I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and said unto them, Ye exact usury, every one of his brother. And I said a great assembly against them. Nehemiah was not afraid to 
bring warnings from God's Word that you are forsaking God and you're forsaking His Word. You know, we ought not to be ashamed to say, you know, the Bible tells us. In Psalms chapter 9 and verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. We ought not to be ashamed to say that. We ought not to be ashamed uh, to, to pronounce the warnings that God's Word brings. You know, our founding fathers were not ashamed to do that. I want to read to you a quote from uh, George Mason. George Mason said this on the floor of the Constitutional Convention in 1787. George Mason is known as the father of the Bill of Rights. And so when you talk about uh, the different amendments that give us the freedoms that we have, George Mason was behind that. And listen to what George Mason said on the floor of the Constitutional, Constitutional Convention. He said, as nations cannot be rewarded or punished in the next world, they must be in this. By an inevitable chain of causes and effects, providence punishes national sins by national calamities. We ought to heed that. We look at 9-11, and 9-11 was so long ago. And how long ago was Pearl Harbor? And we look at these events and we say, well, well, the enemy has forgotten. I guarantee you that the terrorist enemy has not forgotten. I guarantee you that they are right now plotting as to how they might do the most harm and damage to our nation. We ought to be moved to bring warnings from God's Word. We ought to show our love for our country. A good Christian and a good citizen shows their love for their country. The third mark. A good Christian and a good citizen submits to the laws of our land. If there's one thing that should describe us as the people of God, it should be that we are law-abiding citizens. That we are not rebel-rousers and that we do as we please and you can't tell me what to do because I'm an American. No, beloved, we ought to abide by the laws of this land. Romans chapter 13 still tells us that first of all, it is expected that we will obey the laws of our land. Turn over to Romans chapter 13 with me quickly. And I know that you're familiar with these verses, but just as a refresher this morning, in Romans chapter 13, <coughs> excuse me, notice verses 1 through 7. Romans 13 verses 1 through 7. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained or appointed of God. Now watch. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. That means that you're going to be in trouble when you resist God's ordained authority in civil leadership. Now watch verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, now watch. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, or not only because of the consequences, but why? But also for conscience sake. That we have a right conscience before God that we are, we are heeding the authorities of our land. He says in verse 6, For this cause pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, 
Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. It's not negotiable. We are to obey the laws of the land. And I say again, if you don't like the law, take action to have the law changed. You don't get to choose which laws you obey. Now, there is an exception to that, and I'm fully aware of that exception. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But you must obey and abide by the laws of our land unless it meets the exception. And if you don't like the law, then you take action and you become involved to get the law changed. It's amazing to me how many people were against the election of Donald Trump in 2016. And I've made my position very clear on President Trump. Uh, I didn't really want to vote for Donald Trump. And yet, looking at the alternatives and what he said he was going to do. And, beloved, you look at the Supreme Court decisions that have come out recently, and it's because... We have three justices that were appointed by this man who many Christians said they would never vote for. Well, you know what? You get what you vote for. And so, if you want to do something about changing the laws of this land, then you ought to take action to see the laws of this land land changed. Otherwise, abide by the laws of the land. Now, what did Peter say? Peter echoed the same uh, sentiment that Paul had. Listen to this, and I'm going to just read these quickly for time's sake. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, down through verse 17, submit yourselves, now get this, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Not just the ones that you like. Not just the ones that, that don't inconvenience you. Every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Peter was perfectly consistent with what Paul wrote in Romans 13. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Sometimes we use our liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. Well, I'm a Christian, and I don't have to do that. That leads us to the second point that we want to make about talking about submitting to the laws of our land. It's expected that we will obey the laws of our land, but secondly, we better make sure we have a scriptural exception if we don't. Now, I want to pause there for a moment, and I want to repeat what I just said. We better make sure that we have a scriptural exception. I had a great conversation with Brother Wilson up in, up in uh, that state up north. And he made a very, very salient point. The Constitution does not trump the Bible. Do you understand that? The United States Constitution does not trump the Holy Scriptures. The United States Constitution is a key document. And, beloved, we ought to stand by and... And be willing to die for those rights that are afforded to us in the Constitution of the United States. But the Constitution is not the Bible. Our rule of conduct is governed first and foremost by the Word of God. We better have a scriptural example as to why we are not obeying the laws of our land. Do you remember famously Peter and the other apostles told the governmental leaders of their day that they were going to obey God before men. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, 
we ought to obey God rather than men. Well, what was going on? Well, they had been thrust into jail. They had been beaten. They had been commanded not to speak the name of Christ. And in Acts chapter number 40, they said, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Be sure that when you say you are not going to obey the laws of our land, that it is infringing upon your right to serve God. And I'm going to tell you, in the past two and a half years, there's been a lot going on that says, I am not going to obey that law. And it has nothing to do with your right to serve God. You better make sure that you have the right exception. And I'm, I pre, you folks know this. I preached a message here when the COVID pandemic first happened. And I preached a message out of Matthew chapter number 17. And do you remember these words that the Lord spoke in Matthew chapter 17? You find these in verse number 27. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast a hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give them, give unto them for me and thee. Now what was the occasion of this? Peter had, had run off at the mouth and said, they said, does your Lord pay tribute? And they were talking about the temple tax. Not taxes to the Roman government, but the temple tax. And Peter said, well, of course he does. Well, the Lord didn't have to pay temple tax. He's the Lord of the temple. And so the Lord, he, he basically reprimands Peter, but then he says, lest they should be offended, lest we should offend them, go get the coin and pay the temple tax. You know where we'd be a lot better off today? Is if we as believers said, you know what? This doesn't really infringe on my right to serve God. It's not a matter of me obeying men before God. So I don't want to be an offense. I want to be a good testimony. I don't know how some Christians balance their Christianity and their testimony during the COVID. Listen, I, I, I firmly believe that if you don't want to be vaccinated, you have that right not to be vaccinated. I don't believe the government has any right over your body. But I also believe you should be honest about it. I don't believe you should lie about it and convince people that you're somehow vaccinated when you're not. It's silly. Just be honest. We, you have a right to do with your body as you please as it relates to the government forcing a needle into your body. You should not lose your job. You should not be persecuted over that. But we ought to be consistent. We ought not to be deceitful about those things. We ought not to say, you know what? I refuse to do this. And you can't find a scriptural exemption for that. Be sure you have a scriptural exemption. There's a fourth mark. A good Christian and a good citizen supplicates for our leaders and our fellow Americans. We ought to be prayer warriors. We ought to lift up in prayer our fellow countrymen and our fellow rulers. What did Timothy, Paul write to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1? Paul wrote, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, and assessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, I ask you this, and I'm preaching to myself. When's the last time you prayed for Joe Biden? When's the last time you prayed for Kamala Harris? When's the last time you prayed for Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer? Now look, man, I'm guilty. We all will poke fun at, at, at Pelosi and Schumer and we'll, we'll even rail on them and talk bad about them. But do you pray for them? 
How about J.B. Pritzker? You going to vote for J.B. Pritzker? You going to you going to keep J.B. Pritzker in office? You got to pray for him. When's the last time you prayed for the members of the Supreme Court? Nine justices on the Supreme Court. When's the last time you prayed for the members of the Supreme Court? When's the last time you prayed for your two United States senators from the state of Illinois? Can you even name them? When's the last time you prayed for governmental leaders instead of railing on them? We ought to be lifting them up in prayer. We ought to be praying not only for those that are in authority, but Paul writes to Timothy, he says, for all men. We ought to be praying for our fellow countrymen, for our rulers and our countrymen. And then secondly, we ought to be lifting them up in prayer, in prayer as we pray a prayer of repentance for the sin of our nation. Turn to Nehemiah chapter number 1, if you're not still there. Nehemiah chapter number 1. Now notice we're going to pick up in verse number 5. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse number 5. And I said, I beseech... This is Nehemiah's prayer, by the way. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments... Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel. Thy servants, see he's praying for his fellow countrymen. And notice what he does. He says, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. And then he goes on and he prays for the the Lord's mercy. You see, Nehemiah included himself in the sins of his nation. And he prayed a prayer of repentance, asking God to heed his word and heal the land. You know, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 14 is still true today. If my people which are called by by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and pray... Uh, God will hear and He will heal the land. We ought to be praying for our land. We ought to be supplicating for our leaders and our fellow Americans, lifting up in prayer. And then secondly, and I want to again just belabor this point just a moment, we ought to leave off the prating. Prating is a biblical term, to prate. It's a biblical term. You'll recognize that term from the book of Proverbs and also from uh, John the Apostle's words concerning Diotrephes in the book of Third John where John said that Diotrephes was prating against him with malicious words. What does the word prating mean? It means to berate by babbling. I am amazed at the lack of civility, decorum, and decency in our nation today. I'm amazed at it. And you know what? It's very easy to point out things like uh, Congressman Sanchez from California at the congressional softball game a few weeks ago, you know, flipping off people. How sad and disgusting. And man, listen, there are other instances that I could mention to you with AOC and the rest of the squad and their filthy words that they use. And, and it's easy to focus on that. But how about our lack of civility, decorum, and decency? You know, Joe Biden is still the president. And we owe the office of the presidency a certain amount of respect and decorum that I do not believe is afforded today. Certainly wasn't afforded to Donald Trump. And yet we also have to live according to the Holy Scriptures. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 1 says... 
Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates and to be ready for every good work. Verse 2, to speak, speak evil of no man. Wednesday night we looked at Ephesians chapter number 4 where we're supposed to be putting off evil speaking. We ought to be able to engage in discourse with civility, with decorum and decency and disagree with one another as fellow Americans. And you know what? We have to resist the temptation to roll in the mud with the world. We have to resist it. We have to be above the fray. And so this mark... This fourth mark of a good Christian, a good citizen, we ought to supplicate for our leaders and fellow Americans, and that leads us to the last mark. A good Christian and a good citizen should share in the burdens of our liberty. We ought to be willing to do our part for freedom and liberty. Most Americans today want to enjoy the benefits of freedom and liberty. And they want no part in bearing the burden of keeping the freedom and liberty that you and I enjoy. Where would we be if throughout the history of our nation the generations were like the generations today where they expect everything from their government and they look to government as their God and are not willing to do the least bit to secure and defend the freedoms that you and I enjoy. I got to tell you, it gives me some righteous indignation when I hear people, and you heard this throughout the pandemic, oh, they're infringing on our rights. And they haven't done a thing to serve this country. They've never done anything to benefit society. They wouldn't think of putting on a uniform and go and fight and defend this nation's freedoms. They want someone else to do it. Well, we ought to share in the burden of our liberty. That means, first of all, that we value our freedom. That we understand how blessed we are of God. That we have the freedom and the liberties that we enjoy. Nehemiah certainly valued the freedoms that the Jews experienced prior to going into captivity. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 3, when the king addresses Nehemiah and says, Why are you so sad? Nehemiah says this in chapter number 2 and verse number 3, and he said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? He was grieved at the lack of liberty that the Jews had and the way that his homeland had been destroyed and it lied waste, consumed with fire. These are dangerous times, beloved. There is an assault on our freedom. There is an assault on the Constitution of the United States. You and I should understand that there is something in us as good Christians and good citizens that says that we value freedom. Go back and read the Declaration of Independence again. That those writers of the Declaration of Independence understood that there were certain inalienable rights that we are endowed with by our Creator. That all men are created equal. That among those rights are what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Samuel Adams, who was the father of the American Revolution, the guy that instigated the Boston Tea Party, wrote this. If ye love wealth greater than liberty, the tranquility of servitude greater than the animating contest for freedom, go home from us in peace. We seek not your counsel, nor your arms. 
crouch down and lick the hand that feeds you. May your chains set lightly upon you and may posterity forget that ye were our countrymen. What's he saying? He's saying that they were willing (coughs) to undertake the cost and the burden of liberty. This is a letter from one of our founding fathers, the second president of the United States, John Adams, wrote to his wife, Abigail Adams, in July of 1775. He writes, But a constitution of government once charged, once changed from freedom can never be restored. Liberty once lost is lost forever. When the people once surrender their share in the legislature and their uh, right of defending the limitations upon the government and of resisting every encroachment upon them, they can never regain it again. And isn't it true? You don't. You think I'm overreacting? I'm being dramatic today. Listen to some of the, some of the, interviews with our youth today. They're willing to sacrifice all of these rights that people have fought and bled and died for. You and I should not be so. We ought to value our liberty. We ought to value our freedom. And we ought to be willing to share in the burden of our liberty. That means to value our freedom and our liberty. It means to, secondly, vote in our elections. To do your research and find the candidate that most closely resembles values that are taught in the Word of God. That we're not voting just based upon our pocketbook and our finances. Alexander Hamilton wrote, A share in the sovereignty of the state which is exercised by the citizens at large in voting at elections is one of the most important rights of the subject and in a republic ought to stand foremost in the estimation of the law. And I've said it time and time again. Do not complain if you don't vote. Do not complain. You get what you deserve. And then lastly, as it relates to sharing the burden of our liberty, we have to volunteer to serve. We have to volunteer to serve. Nehemiah was ready to serve. He hears what's going on in his homeland. It breaks his heart. What's he going to do? Well, he prayed. You know, remember, Christians will tell you, well, praying's the only thing that you can do. No. That's the most important and the first thing that you can do. But you know what? You can pray and then you can take action. Nehemiah was a man of action. Look at, look at Nehemiah chapter number 2, verses 4 and 5. In Nehemiah chapter number 2, verses 4 and 5, And the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now watch. Verse 5. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. Nehemiah wasn't relying on someone else to do the heavy lifting. He was willing to go back and do it himself. He was willing to bear the burden and the cost and the price of liberty. He himself was willing to risk the danger of going back into his homeland and and laboring and building the wall. How many of us today are perfectly content with someone else doing all the work and labor? And and I don't mean this as a a slight, but I'm just going to say it. And then they complain that they got to wear a mask in a store. Go to a different store. Go somewhere where you don't have to wear a mask. I'm sick and tired of people enjoying all the burdens of the liberty that others have paid for and served to secure and they don't lift a tiny little finger and yet they're the first ones to complain about how their rights are being violated. Your rights being violated? Do something about it. 
pick up a M16 and join the military and serve? Where are our Christian doctors? Where are our Christian lawyers? Where are our Christian politicians? Well, we can't do that. It goes against Christianity. Beloved, we are in the shape that we are in because people for years have thought that very thing. Are you willing to volunteer to serve? It is a hallmark of the Christian life to live sacrificially and selflessly, not selfishly. And today we don't want to be inconvenienced about anything. And our nation goes straight to hell. We complain about the present. We complain about all that goes on in our nation. And we don't do a thing about it. Be the agent of change. Volunteer to serve. I'll tell you a verse that will break your heart. If you're a patriot. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse number 30. God is dealing with Israel. And He's told them time and again... You're going to go into captivity. And they don't do anything about their national condition. They continue to rebel against God and do everything that is contrary to God's word. Listen to this in Ezekiel 22 and verse number 30. And I sought for a man among them, a man among them, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Not one. A man that would stand in the gap and make up the hedge for the land. And he found none. Oh, beloved, may it not be so amongst God's people. Let us hear the challenge and rise to the call. And do what God asks of us to do as good Christians and good citizens. John Dickinson is known as the penman of the revolution. He was a delegate to the Constitutional Convention. He wrote the Liberty Song in 1768. Part of it is this. Then join hand in hand brave Americans all. By uniting we stand. By dividing we fall. May we be Nehemiahs today. Looking at the condition of our land, and we are moved such that we are willing to do what we can for this great nation. God has blessed us. I could read quote after quote of our founding fathers and presidents that served thereafter, that loved this country, and understood the connection between Christianity and citizenship and the continuance of this nation. That's all good and fine for them. But we must also understand. This morning we looked at five marks of a good Christian and a good citizen. A good Christian and a good citizen seeks to live a consistent Christian life. Shows her love for our country. Submits to our laws of our land. Supplicates for our leaders and fellow Americans. And shares in the burden of our liberty. Hey, let's pray one for another. That God would make us good Christians.
good citizens. Let's pray.